0: The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation.
1: Well, hey guys, it's good to be back for another Stories episode at Normal Goes a Long Way. And today we are talking to, I'd say, one of the main reasons I'm actually pursuing a master's right now at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, We're talking to a guy named Ben, who I approached probably a year and a half ago, trying to figure out a way to get into pastoral ministry without going to Concordia Seminary. Problem (laughs) is this guy works for Concordia Seminary. And I should have known that going in and he convinced me to go. So now uh, I'm pursuing my master's and Ben is on staff there.
0: Wait a minute. So what does it mean to get your master's in a religion school? Like I know what it means to get it at a regular university.
1: Uh, I'll give my answer and then Ben will give his professional paid position answer. Okay. My answer is it means you go to classes Uh so that you can, so I'm already working at a church, but now I get to do more at a church because I've got my master's. Okay. Like I get to preach.
0: Oh, you become like a pastor.
1: Yes. Yes. But not everyone gets a master's at a religion school to become a pastor because there's also female students that are getting a, a degree in their deaconess studies.
0: Okay. What's a deaconess.
1: All right, Ben, I, I I'm, I'm exhausted at my knowledge <laughs> my here. He's
0: exhausted at me. I love it.
2: I love it. I, I am so honored to, to be on, uh, with you Ryan and Jill and, and just so excited about, uh, what you're doing. I think, uh, podcasting is, uh, a lot of fun. I, I have a podcast myself. And so, um, with a, a friend of mine named Micah, um, and so yeah, uh, honored to be on, and honored to uh, to talk a little bit about uh, Concordia Seminary and whatever else uh, you you both want to want to talk about. A deaconess, to answer Joe's question, is uh, is someone who serves uh, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, in our church body um, as a woman uh, who is uh, trained. Theologically uh, in a, a robust way, uh, not just a few uh, classes on religion or something, but really thorough training in uh, how to read and understand the Bible, um, how to understand the history of the church, uh, how to understand a little bit of the church's core teachings, and then how to actually practice the um, And so for a deaconess, the practices of ministry often are, uh, they can be a whole bunch of different things. It could be like um, running a woman's shelter, or it could be uh, running a preschool. It could be um, helping at a church as a youth director, or um, it it could be working at a, a, a retirement community or a nursing home of some sort. So, so um, a deaconess is a woman that has lots of theological education and then can go into a whole bunch of different realms and uh, put her faith to work in service to her neighbor.
1: Actually, our, our pastor's daughter's a deaconess just up the road, and she does youth ministry there. So, there's yeah, your example. Exactly. I've known others to be missionaries overseas. So,
0: okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. then let's go to the other question about the masters and besides it. Maybe giving the title of pastor. What else would someone be going to a religious school to pursue their master's?
2: We have kind of two master's degrees, at least two kinds. One is um, one is what's called a professional master's degree. So it's kind of like getting a master in business administration or a master's in education. Um, it's really geared toward. I mean, it's academic. It's a master's degree, but but it's geared toward practicing something, toward doing something. So an MBA gives you the theoretical and the practical frameworks to do business, or a master's of education makes you a better educator. So a a master's of divinity um, or a master of of deaconess studies gives one the the practices um, to, to do ministry, like how to preach, how to uh, visit shut-ins how to uh, how to create and write bible studies uh how to lead uh faith-based organizations congregations and that sort of thing so so we could have um so we have people that come from practical masters primarily that are either going to be a pastor or a deaconess um to serve in the church then we also have some academic master's degrees um that's more like if you were going to get a master's degree in history or a master's degree in philosophy or English, where you just come and study theology and it's not really necessarily for any particular purpose. It's just kind of continuing education or preparation to get even another degree like a PhD or something like that. Um, so yeah, we have people from around the world that come, uh, and, um, and, and, Take our our master's degree in theology. Um, we have a lot of students from Africa and Asia who then go back and are theological educators back in their back in their hometowns. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a fun place to work.
0: Now I know Ryan did not ask you to come on here to talk about <laughs> education really, and I have all these questions. So let me ask this: as someone who has received her undergrad and masters at a public sector could I just attend uh or get my master's would I have to like go to the undergrad side first and then get a master's if I wanted to go that route for ministry like how does that work for those people like me
2: <laughs> great question I I this is uh I see what's going and I I like it <laughs> maybe um, <laughs> um so uh you do not have to have uh, a, an undergrad in, in uh, theology or in Bible or anything um, to, to enter our, our master's program. So um, in order to get into our master's program, you have to have a bachelor's degree in anything. Um, oh. and, and then, uh, yeah, you can take uh, a master's degree and get a master's in theology, and um, and there would be a ton of uh, electivity. In our our master's degree, our MA in theology is probably our most um, kind of uh, flexible degree. So um, you can take a bunch of different stuff uh, depending on what's being offered. So uh, it might be a a course on a particular book of the Bible, or it might be a course on uh, something practical, like how to give spiritual care to people or how to teach uh, the faith. So, yeah, anybody can come.
0: Good to know. This
2: is actually good because our, believe it or not, Jill, so
1: we had an Ask the Pastor night recently. I had 75 to 80 middle schoolers write down any question they could ask a pastor. And after questions about heaven, questions about how to become a pastor or why you become a pastor was like the second most popular one. So, Hmm. I don't know. Kids are interested in... to become this thing
2: that they see on a stage on sunday it's
0: very intriguing to me and oh go ahead
2: i was just gonna say that's awesome and i think it says a lot about uh the pastors and church workers at messiah right because uh in in our day today uh people want to follow in the footsteps of people that they trust and admire and um they're not going to do something just because uh you know they feel some duty or obligation, probably Uh, it's much more likely that they're going to pick a profession because uh, they've personally been impacted in some way. And uh, so, yeah, I think that says says a lot about what y'all are doing.
0: And then at the beginning of this episode, you mentioned that you had a podcast. Go ahead and tell me the name of that. And then I'll let Ryan take over.
2: (laughs) Uh, All right. Yeah. I I, uh, I was starting to go down that trail and then I thought, Oh, I don't want to be like no. doing a vlog. Yes. So now that you've asked, all right, all right. I'll, uh, so our podcast is called under the fig tree. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a podcast specifically about, uh, potentially going into church work. So, um, oh. if, you, if you're looking, uh, there, there are several under the fig tree podcasts, but ours is, uh, Kind of has a beige background and an olive green uh big fig tree. Um so that's that's us under the fig tree, Ben and Micah Glenn.
0: I will have that at our show notes at normalgoesalongway.com. Okay, so Ryan. Well, <laughs> it's I, your I, turn now. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I think
1: Ben's point out.
2: I love it. This is a great <laughs> podcast. This is just the way ours is too. Very conversational. <laughs> yes. All over the place. Love it. Yep.
1: Well, uh, Ben, you made a point that people look to their pastors, uh, and they're intrigued by them because of their relationship with them, and they, and they look to them for guidance. And I think a pastor's role sometimes is to both affirm and uplift people where necessary, but also sometimes to challenge them and to invite them into something greater. Yeah. And you actually just wrote a book about a pastor in a very unique place at a very unique time. Um, this is what made me want to interview you. I, I found Ben one day on campus and I said, I heard you're writing a book and he said, yeah, it's about this German pastor with a difficult to pronounce name who served as a pastor yep. in Germany in the, in the thirties. And I thought, well, that's an interesting time to be a pastor in, in Germany because uh, there's some stuff going on there. If you know your history, I don't. So I'm going to let Ben give the the historical okay. background, but, politically speaking this was a challenging time to be a pastor and it was a challenging time to be the church and i think uh what you talked about with this pastor could teach us today right in, in our american context where we vote christians get to have a voice in politics and we're almost expected to and every election cycle doesn't matter how what what year it is people want to know what are evangelicals supporting where are evangelicals going in their political support. So all those things came together to make me say, I want to know more about what you learned from this pastor and what you know about Christians and their place in the political
2: world. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, delighted to, to, uh, talk a little bit about this book. Um, I will give a, um, an initial apology, uh, so the book is a is a, a very academic book uh, published by a, a great publisher T and T Clark. Um, they're owned by Bloomsbury, who uh, are the publishers of Harry Potter. Um, I'm a big fan, um, and so I, I thought, wow, it would be really cool to to you know get published by the same printing house that prints Harry Potter. I think we probably won't sell as many copies as uh, Harry Potter, um, and and for that reason, publishers have to. Pick a price for the book that kind of covers their costs. So, um, right now the book is sitting at a whopping $105 a copy. So, um, I'm hopeful that I will sell uh, some copies to uh, academic libraries and professors and such. And if we sell enough copies uh, in the academy, then the price of the book will probably uh, come down to like. A regular book like twenty or thirty bucks um, once they 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 get the first run done. So um, consider this a um, kind of an intro. And uh, if you have an academic library where you could ask for it, you you could probably ask for it. But uh, um, I'm not putting anybody up to buy it for hundred and
1: five dollars <laughs> a
2: copy. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't get any money. I, I don't get anything from that. All the proceeds go to uh, a foundation um, that, that, is, uh, that honors the legacy of this pastor. So without further ado, let's talk about this, this guy. His name is Hans Joachim Iwand oh. I-W-A-N-D. So kind of looks like I-wand or I-wand, um, but, but he would have pronounced it Iwand uh, as a, a good German boy. Uh, so let's just call him Hans, because uh, I think that that's probably, it's a very German sounding name, uh, but but that's e- most easily pronounced. So uh, Hans was born in uh, what is today basically Poland. Um, uh, and uh, he was born in 1899. So so he came of age, uh, he, he graduated and was ready to go to university in 1917, which was, uh, as our listeners may know, uh, in the middle of World War I. Uh, world War One wouldn't end until 1918. And so um, Ivan grew up in, a, Hans grew up in a really kind of tumultuous time. There was a world war going on. And um and he was he was called up to uh, to serve in World War One. Uh, listeners might know uh, another interesting writer that that grew up and uh, in this time and had a, a very similar story in some ways. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, was was born right around the same time, and uh, as a young man served in in World War One. I. I just uh, read a great book called Tolkien and the Great War by John Garth. Uh, the the stories that are told of world war one and being in the bunkers. Um maybe maybe uh listeners have seen recently uh what's the movie All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That's oh hard. what a horrific movie, right? Yeah. And so these these uh these young men uh were were you know there were they were there were not women serving in the 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 trenches certainly a lot of women serving kind of behind the scenes and caring for soldiers and that sort of thing and that was it was impactful on on everybody but uh, these scenes of being in the the bunkers and the trenches in World War One oof so so Hans kind of uh, he he goes off to war and then uh, and then shortly after um, the war ends he he, uh, he decides to go and study theology and and I wonder I mean I I think uh, living through really tough stuff um, has a way of focusing somebody on what's m- truly most important in life and I, I think uh, Hans kind of had this this sort of experience uh, he gets caught up in some political movements um, he at one point he was he was at a rally Um that Adolf Hitler was also at, um, I, I saw in my research. Um, and it was just this crazy time of, of people trying to figure out what's the right way to go. And there's all these riots and protests. Um, and as a young man, I think he was just kind of caught up in all of it, uh, sort of the way that probably are a lot of people today are caught up in all the craziness of, um, riots and protests. And, um, and there's a lot of tough things going on in our world today. And, and so a lot of this similar unrest. So he, he decides, you know, given all this craziness in the world, I, I think I want to study theology. I, he had a, a, a mentor that uh, he really got to know well. And the mentor said, you know, you really ought to, you really ought to come and study theology. So he, he, he goes off and studies studies theology and um, and he becomes a, a professor. Then he's kind of back and forth uh, in a bunch of different places, um, but he finally kind of kind of makes it as a professor. He publishes a, a, his first book in uh, uh, 1926, um, and he starts teaching at the University of Königsberg, which is way over um it's it's uh in it's in russia, now, right? russia right now. yeah yeah so he's he's teaching there and in 1932 um he's he's kind of the 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 like kind of pastor and professor all in one at this house of of students um uh, and in 1932 um a bunch of um S.A. troops, which is kind of a precursor to the S.S., um, which eventually becomes Adolf Hitler's um, kind of army. Uh, These troops come in and they kind of raid his his house and they tell him that uh, he's going to be he's going to be deposed and uh, fired from his position because he had written some things that were kind of controversial. And he was not a big fan of this guy, Adolf Hitler, who was uh, potentially coming to power. and, and so uh, Hitler started to uh, round up people that were not getting in line. And uh, a lot of this stuff was going on behind the scenes in Germany. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of talking about it uh, early on in the days. Uh, in, in one point, uh, Dietrich Bonhafer in 1933, who's also uh, maybe maybe your listeners know about Dietrich Bonhafer. Bonhoffer was another Lutheran pastor. Uh, had a very, very similar uh, early life uh, as as Hans did. Um, studied theology, and then in he uh, in 1933, Dietrich Bonhoffer was on a radio broadcast, and he said some things that were pretty critical of the the new Fuhrer, the new uh, leader. Hitler didn't like the the term uh, that the the uh, leader of the German people had been given, and so he came up with his own leap, his own title, and it was Fuhrer. Um, and uh, and Bonhoeffer said some things that were not uh, real uh, kind about that. Uh, he did. He was. He was really quite nervous about um, a leader that just had all power and uh, could do what basically whatever he wanted, and everybody was just kind of in line and said. Yes, whatever you want to do, we'll do. Um, and it was this terrifying kind of raw assertion of power. Maybe you've heard of uh, Lord Acton, who once said, "Power corrupts; absolute power corrupts absolutely." And so, uh, so, so, Bonhoeffer and Hans Ivan uh, start start talking about uh, how challenging it is for this raw assertion of power this absolute power how corrupt it was Um, and they they started to talk about um, how Christians should really be aware of what is going on in the government uh, because the government was basically telling Christians what to think and what to say and Bonhoeffer and Hans didn't like that very much and uh, they 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 had a lot to say about um, how the church should respond to society. It's interesting
1: that they were set against this this absolute ruling that you were talking about. Because if if Hans was was born in Germany in 1899, well, he was born under an authority, uh, an authoritative ruler. Then, because Germany was under a king, right? And so that's interesting that it seems like his his attitudes had shifted when it came to absolute power and that sort of thing. Maybe I'm wrong here, but um, he grew up in a monarchical system anyways. But what I'm really curious about is, you know, you mentioned he was at a rally with Hitler. It sounded like in in the 20s or 30s. But how did his politics change? Was he on various sides? Was he figuring himself out during that interwar period before coming down on this position that we now know him for historically.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so as, as far as the King thing goes, uh, there's a great book called uh, the guns of August by Barbara Tuchman. And she, uh, she has this really interesting scene at the beginning of the book in 1914. This is before Franz Ferdinand, uh gets, gets assassinated. And, um, the uh a, a ruler in uh, Austria uh so uh the scene is there are all these kings of all these different countries uh, uh and and kind of people groups right so there's the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the British Empire and the uh, Ger- German Empire and uh, the, the Prussian Empire and all of these uh, a bunch of these kings are kind of riding in a parade at the at the beginning of this book Um, and Tuchman basically points out that um, nothing like this would ever happen again Uh, so world war one was basically the end of uh, kings being rulers over states or nations or countries in the the west and what comes after uh, world war one is um new new systems of i mean this is ultimately what world war one is is about creating a, a new system that's based on choice and uh democracy is a is a much more important thing um becomes a much more important thing especially in in western europe uh, so so uh, by the time hitler comes to power in, in the 30s there there isn't a, a king um, but more of a um, somewhat democratically elected uh, uh, leader.
1: These two guys, these, these pastors in Germany, had, you mentioned Bonhoeffer and we have Hans here. You mentioned that, that Hitler at that point and, that, and the government was, was taking stances against the church, right? Uh, proposing ideologies, proposing things that these pastors felt went against their beliefs. I'm curious what exactly those things were because in the early 30s, you you know, this is not the 1940s. And so I'm actually not super familiar with how Hitler's uh, agenda and how the government's programs had developed. So what were they specifically opposing at that time?
0: We have so much more to learn from Ben. And so we're gonna hit pause on this week's conversation. And then I hope you will join us for the continuation of this conversation next week when we launch part two. And here's a little sneak preview. Oftentimes,
2: when people preach about the parable of the Good Samaritan, they love to talk about what we should do or how we should help our neighbor. But the real question of that parable is who is my neighbor? What Christians really need to think about is who is our neighbor? The obvious answer of like help our own is not what Jesus was getting at with that parable. Our neighbor is the person that we most fundamentally disagree with. Uh, Maybe even the person that we've come to hate because of their position on something